0: The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by the 2019 World Changing Women's Summit.
1: Join us January 28th through 30th in Santa Cruz, California, to nourish yourself, connect with other women in leadership, and elevate business. For more information and to claim
0: your tickets, visit worldchangingwomensummit.com. That's
1: worldchangingwomensummit.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWPod. If you haven't yet, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. You're listening to the World Changing Women's Podcast, where each week we talk to badass female founders who've built game-changing brands that are making the world a better place
0: you know it was it it was bigger than us it was people really wanted to try it Uh, they said oh it'll never work in the alps because people are so tied to the tradition of skiing and it really was the exact opposite people were looking for a different way to have fun on the mountain especially the
1: younger generation burton snowboards is the brand that puts snowboarding on the map As a Colorado native, I've been riding a Burton snowboard since I learned how to ride at age 13, but it wasn't until this year when I learned about the leadership behind the brand that I fell absolutely in love with Burton. In 2016, Donna Carpenter, who is the wife of founder Jake Burton and who has built Burton from the ground up alongside him, was elevated to the role of CEO. Despite not necessarily believing in herself at the beginning and having to be nudged into the role by Jake, Donna has seized the opportunity to take Burton to the next level, doubling down on the brand's sustainability and women's rights initiatives. In this episode of World Changing Women, we'll hear how Donna has increased the number of women in leadership at Burton from 10% to 45%. What have been the key elements of growth for the brand and why she believes that business leaders should take a stand for the things that they care about, especially with the privilege that they have. I'm your host, Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Welcome to World Changing Women. So Donna, you actually met your husband, Jake, after he had founded Burton, and then the two of you really built the company together from there. But can you just talk to me about that initial story of what it was like when you first met him and what those early days of the company were like?
0: Yeah, I always say I was an accidental entrepreneur. I was literally (laughs) on a ski vacation in Vermont, and I met him in a bar. And you got to remember, this was 1981. And, um, you know, he said his name was Jake, and he made snowboards. And I thought that was cute, but I was going back to Manhattan. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I wasn't expecting to fall in love and move to Vermont. And I really didn't... um, plan on getting involved in the business. At the time, they were, I don't know if you remember the snurfer, but This was, uh, you know, the first Burton boards were adapted from the Snurfer. So it was really just a piece of wood with a rope on the end and a couple of rubber straps to keep your feet uh, in place. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, And right after we got married, I have to say I had a little bit of a culture shock being from New York City and moving to Vermont. And he was starting to think about how he could potentially make a snowboard like a ski that would be wood cores, fiberglass, you know, steel edges, um, maybe bindings. uh, And all that production was in the Alps. So right after we got married, uh, he said, what if we go to the Alps? And we had both spent time in Europe. We both loved to travel. So I actually got another job. I got a job with a university and I was waiting to go over there. And Jake said, they we're getting some inquiries from Europe, from people in Europe that are interested in snowboarding. Can you take a look? And the next thing I knew, I was setting up an office. Aus- I was 22 years old, <laughs> just out of college. And I was setting up an office in Innsbruck, Austria. And, you know, it was it, it, it was bigger than us. It was people really wanted to try it. Uh, they said, oh, it'll never work in the Alps because people are so tied to the tradition of skiing. And it really was the exact opposite. People were looking for a different way to have fun on the mountain, especially the younger generation. And um, it just took off. So the next thing I knew, I was setting up distribution all over Europe. And I always say that a big part of our success came from the fact that We had no idea what we were doing, that we were young and naive because we were very humble. You know, we said to people, Hey, how do you do business in Europe? I remember talking to American companies who were like, We're going to show the Europeans how to do business, you know, sell clothes or something. And I thought, Well, they've been doing it a thousand years before us. So um, we went with a real sort of humble, what can we learn? And yeah, it took off. So that's really how my career with the company started.
1: Wow. And and it sounds like you just really figured it out as you were going along, but were you just in for the first little bit, just setting up these distribution systems?
0: Yeah, we were just figuring it out as we went along. You know, we were figuring out how to manufacture like a ski, Um, and to distribute all over Europe. So it really was, you know, there was a ski infrastructure that we could plug into. You know, there are ski areas and chairlifts um, and people selling ski brands. So in Europe, as opposed to, say, China, where there really wasn't an infrastructure, you know, there was an infrastructure in Europe for us to plug into.
1: Now that you kind of have the benefit of retrospect, um, is there anything that you would have done differently at the very beginning when setting up the company, now that you can look back on those early days?
0: Oh, my God. What didn't we do wrong? I I think, you know, I, I really say that all of our growth, both personally and professionally, have come from mistakes that we've made. And uh, I think because we were pioneers of the sport, people kind of forgave our mistakes. But I remember very early on, uh, I had a big quality problem in Switzerland. One of the first years I I had a distributor in Switzerland and literally the bindings were pulling out of the board while you were riding it, (laughs) a certain percentage. And this was, you know, the mid 80s. And so we were the first kind of company to be offering these bindings. So the the market kind of forgave us. But we became fanatics about quality after that. We were like, that is never going to happen again. So, you know, I think you, you make mistakes and, you know, you
1: learn from them. You, you just mentioned that one of the things you think is a uh, key to the growth of Burton were the mistakes that you made. I'm also curious about just what else were the key elements of your growth? You guys have just turned into this unbelievably large company in in this arena. So what else do you think has benefited the growth of the company?
0: I think our commitment to the athletes and their feedback and their role in the company, I think, again, a lesson that we learned very early on, we were from the East coast. We are from the East coast and our biggest competitor was a California company named Sims, no longer in business, by the way. Um, and they were on kind of the freestyle tip the half pipe tip before we were we were kind of this east coast racing mentality and we kind of missed the boat and again this was the early mid 80s um, and we realized that we had to Listened to the athletes that they were on top of what the trends were going to be, and that's when we signed an athlete named Craig Kelly, who kind of really changed our perspective on how we should be developing product. Um, so I would say that was you know a big part of our growth, and and like I said, it was bigger than us. The demand was bigger than us. We were just really trying to keep up with it.
1: Moving on from those early days, I, I really want to dig into kind of where where you've been the last couple of years. Um, and you actually assumed the role of CEO at Burton in 2016, and after being there for over 30 years. And so I'm just curious, what was that like for you?
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I think I, uh, you know, it's typical of women. I at every step of my career it was really my husband who pushed me. And for example, you know, I'm 22 years old and he's like, you can set up distribution in Europe while I work on production. And then when we came back uh, to the US in the early 90s, He said, we really need a CFO and you could be CFO. And I was like, I can't be CFO. And he's like, yes, you can based on your experience. And then, you know, I became senior vice president of international and then president. And every step of the way, it was him who said kind of, you can do this. And he actually asked me to, you know, I guess I always wanted to feel that no matter what I was doing, that I was contributing, that it wasn't about the title or the number of direct reports or whatever. It was about where can I really contribute? And, you know, it was first in Europe and then it was setting up um, financial systems and budgets and forecasting and all that stuff. Um, You know, and then it was Asia and, you know, progressively it's been a bigger and bigger role. So I think it's, I would say it's not where I expected to be but I am enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, it really is uh, a way to steer the company in the direction that I think it needs to go and to build a team around me that shares those values and vision.
1: Hmm. I, I had the privilege last week. I saw um, the president of North America's for Mars, like Mars Candy Bar company, um, speak. Her name's Tracy Massey, and she also brought that up that um, she actually had to be convinced that she should be the president. And even though she had, to, she had to have a man who was kind of pushing her into that role. And it's it's just such an interesting thing that so many women, we we need someone to push us.
0: This is something I've been talking about for 15 years, and I I find myself doing it. You know, I always say if you have a a promotion, a woman will give you five reasons why she's not ready. Mm -hmm. And a guy will give you five reasons why he should have had that job yesterday. (laughs) Um, And that's why you need women in leadership, right? So that they can really assess the talent. And, you know, I've had plenty of times in my career where I'll say, wait a minute, what about this woman over here who's kicking ass? Why shouldn't she be leading? Um, so I think it's, yeah, but to find yourself doing it, it's, it is, it's, it's kind of how we've been
1: trained. So now that you've found yourself in this role, um, I'm curious, what are you struggling most with right now?
0: I, you know, I'm not, I don't think. Obviously, for us, we struggle with climate change and the change in the weather and the unpredictability of the world. You know, I used to say it was we only used to worry about the snow. Now we worry about global economic crises and trade wars and tsunamis and you name it. There's so much more out of our control. So I think. As the leader, I've had to really focus us on what we can control. I always like to say, hope is not a strategy. Praying for snow is not a strategy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm struggling, and and I guess we're struggling uh, with how to make Burton relevant in people's lives year round you know snowboarding and burton is more than a sport we created a lifestyle around the sport you know that includes travel and music and art and urban influences and things you don't normally see in the outdoor world and so we're really developing product that can be used yes on the hill but also you know fleeces and flannels and and first layers that can be worn all year round, and also letting people know they don't have to be a snowboarder to be part of our community. that it's
1: really more of a mindset, speaking of those things that you do have control over, um you guys have actually made the decision to stay private. And you've talked about how that is a competitive advantage. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, it is a competitive advantage because we can think longer term. You know, we've learned a lot of lessons from watching other industries. Uh, For example, in the beginning, we saw the ski industry had really lost their passion for their sport. They had become a bunch of suits with spreadsheets. And we made a commitment that that was not going to happen to us. Jake committed to riding 100 days a year, which is sort of symbolic of, of how involved we are and how much we encourage everybody to stay part of the sport. The other lesson we learned was from the surf industry that really had a legitimate lifestyle to sell. That Southern California beach lifestyle was legitimate, but they got greedy. They went public. And when you go public, you start having to show quarterly growth. So you either have to produce too much product or you're acquiring other brands that don't make sense for you. Quicksilver acquired Roxy, uh, I mean, Rosinol, which made no sense. Um, So I think that, you know, staying private has allowed us to say, hey, we're taking the long view on this. We don't want to dump product. We want to be scarce with our product. We want to you know develop and create demand. Um yeah, so we've really watched other companies implode after going private. The other things is when I think about my work at the company, you know, the two things I'm proudest of are the things we've done around gender equality and 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 women working at the company and the second thing is sustainability both of those things required long-term investments right we couldn't take a year or two off from these things even if you know we weren't making as much money or whatever we had to stay committed and i think we're now reaping the
1: results of being able to focus long term Building on the kind of gender equity piece that's really important to you, you've actually increased the percentage of women in leadership at Burton from 10% to I think it's around 45% through something called the Women's Leadership Initiative. And I am just fascinated on how did you do this? What What is the Women's Leadership Initiative? How does it work? And how did you do this?
0: Yeah, you know, I think we've always uh, had a value of inclusion, right? That's always been important to us. I think because we were excluded in the beginning, we were excluded from ski areas and their trade shows. So we always saw ourselves as a very inclusive community. Women were always a part of it. They were always a part of the pioneering history of it. We had equal prize money for men and women at the U.S. Open starting in 1982 two, right? Yeah. So it was never like, you know, women were just always a part of it. And then literally Jake and I woke up one day, looked around a room of leaders and out of 25, this was back in 2002, out of 25 global leaders, there were two women in the room. And I think Jake knew at a gut entrepreneurial level that this was not going to bode well for our company you know not just that it didn't match our values which it didn't um but that we were never going to be innovative or be able to pull from the best talent or reach the women's market unless we had women in the room so the women's leadership initiative was really a comprehensive effort ongoing now where we really looked at how to recruit more women, how to retain them, and how to advance proactively advance them. And we looked at everything from, you know, maternity leave, but more importantly, post maternity leave. You know, we have women, any woman in our company who's in a high profile product marketing or sales role has to travel. So we put very progressive travel policies in for people. You can take a caretaker with you, or we'll pay to have a caretaker at home while you're traveling the first 18 months of your child's life things like that we really focused on mentoring that is what i women said they craved a mentor if you're the only woman in the room it's hard to organically develop a mentoring relationship versus if you're one of the guys. So we put in uh, a bunch of different mentoring programs, both grassroots, also for senior women, and those were incredibly successful. On the hiring side, we told hiring managers that they had to have a female finalist for every leadership position that they were hiring for. So if they didn't, they had to go out and find one. and. You know, if you have two equally qualified candidates, chances are you're going to end up hiring, you know, the woman half the time. So there were really a lot of things that we did that we continue to do to really um, move the needle and it's made us a better company. I think if you ask any guy who works here, they would say we've become more family friendly. We see employees as whole human beings. So it's really made us like we we have a mentoring culture that would never have happened without the women's leadership initiative.
1: So kind of building on the Women's Leadership Initiative, one of the things that I saw that you did was you actually paid for people to attend the Women's March. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, that's the first time I think we we ever did anything overtly political, but I, I felt compelled. I just thought, again, 15 years of working on women's rights in the workplace and making progress, but still we have a long way to go, and then... You know, the election happened and we have a sexual predator in the White House who, you know, I think, you know, it uncovered this misogyny in this country that I don't think we were all aware it was really there. So I just felt compelled to offer it up to any Burton uh, employee who wanted to come with us to come with me to have the same opportunity. So we had about 30 of us and you know, it was an incredibly empowering experience. And everybody came back even more determined than ever to work on
1: gender diversity here. I was there with my my mom and my brother and my sister-in-law and my pretty much my whole family. And I, I still think back to that as one of the most powerful things I've ever been a part of, it was just incredible. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the
0: women at Burton are badass, right? If you choose a career in action sports, you're pretty tough to begin with.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, so you actually, there was a great article that you wrote. Um, I actually sent it around to the entire Conscious Company media team, um, just cause I was so struck by what you said in it. And it was about the role of power and privilege. And while we don't have enough time for you to be able to kind of walk us through the entire thing, I was wondering if you could just speak to kind of some of the key lessons from that particular piece and your take on power and privilege.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting topic. They had actually given me that topic. So I I gave it a lot of thought. I ended up using Brene Brown's definition of privilege, which she defined as power with gratitude. Mm. Um, And I think that my career has sort of been defined by power with gratitude. And I think I talked about the first time I realized Burton was a family. It's easy to say, oh, my company is a family because we're growing and everything's great, right? In 1989, we had the bank pull our loan from us for no fault of our own. There was a banking crisis, the savings and loan crisis. We were doing just fine, but our bank wanted to pull out of any risky loan. And because we're so seasonal, they considered us risky. Mm. So there was a moment where I had to walk around to 50 employees and ask them not to cash their paycheck. And I'll still remember looking in the eyes of a woman who I, a single mom, two kids in daycare. And I said, I'm sorry, you can't cash that paycheck. And she, like everybody else in the company said, okay, we believe in what you're doing. Tell us when we can cash it. And I did get emergency funding. It took about, I think, 12 days. Um, And in the meantime, nobody complained, nobody left, and we got through it. And that's when I realized that this isn't about me and the power I might have in running and controlling a company. This is the privilege of providing livelihoods for people. Um, So it was really kind of a defining moment for me that I realized whatever power I had was a privilege because I'm responsible for other people. It's not about Jake and I.
1: I love that. Um, (laughs) So in just talking to you and reading about you, um, kind of from women's issues to climate change and sustainability and Power and privilege. It, it seems to me that you are someone who stands up for what you believe in, and I was wondering, as a business leader now and as CEO of Burton, are you ever worried that you're going to ostracize potential customers as a result of your own personal views?
0: I would say I'm not. I've never been too worried about that. Have other people? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, and 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 I would say that's typically why businesses didn't take stands, right, is because they were worried about potentially ostracizing a certain percentage of their customers or their employees. I think we're in a different time now. I think we're in a time where obviously our government's not leading on these issues. So businesses are being forced to lead on these issues. Mm -hmm. Consumers are no longer willing to say, Oh, you've got values. Great. They're like, let's see those values in action. And let's see if you really walk the walk that you're talking or whatever. And I think that the benefit of speaking up, the loyalty that you create with your customers and with your employees far outweighs any, anybody you're going to alienate. I mean, it has to be authentic to who you are. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about women's issues if we didn't have a great track record and if we didn't have something to say, right? So um, I think now businesses are going to be expected to take a stand. Have I ever gone too far? I don't know. I, I I talked about gun control in one of our posts, and that seemed to set off something that I said, you know, maybe a snowboarding platform shouldn't be talking about gun control, but we should certainly be talking about climate change uh, and about women. So you you learn some things, but I think the risk of not standing up
1: now is almost greater. Just on a a personal note, um, I'm curious how you've handled being the leader of this company now. Um, What's keeping you grounded? What's keeping you centered? And what is letting you kind of handle the pressure of running a business this size?
0: Yeah, you know, I think I have learned... Over the years, I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned is I've got to take care of myself. Nobody else will. I'm sure a lot of people can relate that early in my career, I'd work so hard and then get sick and and then rinse and repeat, you know? So I've really learned that I've got to take care of myself holistically. So that means spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, um, and that that has to come come first so i have daily routines that ground me getting outside for a walk with my dogs every morning and yoga in the evening um but i also i, I think i also have fostered a culture where we're kind of all in this together mm. And that there's not undue pressure on anybody, that it's seen really as a collaborative effort. So I never feel sort of individual pressure. Sure, there's pressure on my team, but that's what it feels
1: like. Pressure on our team, if that makes sense. It does. It really does. Um, So, I'm curious if you've ever received a piece of leadership advice that has just stuck with you or just been the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten.
0: Yeah, I've gotten a lot of good leadership advice.
1: Oh, okay. I know.
0: I went to a conference with some very powerful uh, women, and I will never forget uh, this one woman. She went through her top 10 leadership uh, you know, what would you call them? Top 10 leadership, uh, top 10 ideas for leadership. And her first one was choose your partner. Well, (laughs) Mm. and I think for women that we can't underestimate that, that choosing a partner who will be your cheerleader, who will push you to that next step who will make accommodations in their life for you in terms of helping to raise the kids and, and taking on that. So I think that's uh, probably my number one advice to women is choose your partnership partner well. And secondly, I, I tell women to create their own board of directors. And I must have heard that advice somewhere along the line. And I just love it. So I have my own personal board of directors so that when I have a question about organizational structure, I have someone that I call. If I have a marketing question, I have someone outside the company that I can call. And the beauty is that they know me and they know the company and I can bounce things off of them and they can say, this feels right. This doesn't feel right. Have you thought about this? Have you you know, you you haven't thought about this, you know, the higher up you go, the less likely people are to give you honest feedback. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have people around you who will be that grounding force and say, you know, you made a mistake here, you need to apologize, or that sounds great, go for it you know, just that reality check. So creating your own board of directors and maybe your partner is on that board of directors there, but um, I think surrounding yourself with mentors.
1: Yeah. I I was on a panel uh, a few weeks ago at Denver startup week and someone asked me, you know, kind of like, how have I handled all the things that I've been through? And my husband was sitting in the audience and I just pointed at him and I was like him, uh, my partner, like a hundred percent. He's, He's like the one that is behind all of this, and I, I hear that consistently from men and women. Um, like when you get to those upper levels of leadership, where you you need someone behind you who can help you out with everything. It's
0: yeah, super critical. It's really true.
1: So I'm curious for you um, if can you talk to me about a life changing moment that you've had on your journey.
0: Well, I guess I would have to say the biggest life-changing moment I've had was three years ago when my husband got ill. He uh, is fine now. He's totally recovered. But he had an autoimmune disorder, Guillain-Barré syndrome, and it started with uh, double vision. He was seeing double. And within four days, he was on full life support and within a week he was fully paralyzed and he remained fully paralyzed for close to three months and then made um about it took about six months for him to fully recover so time stopped for me it put everything in perspective you know, I think you get busy with your life. I've, we've got three, you know, sons who are in their 20s and you're running a business and and you're trying to keep everything together. And then, bam, it just stops. You know, he was as close to death as you can get for many, many weeks. And I was president at the time. Uh, luckily, I had a senior team who really stepped up for me. Um, And again, I felt the energy of the Burton family behind us. You know, it was just like having a thousand people on your side cheering for you. Um, And it was one of the most difficult times we've ever gone through. But again, you come out the other side stronger as a family and as a company, the senior management really realized, you know, they were basically running the company on their own for about six months where they were checking in with me once a week.
1: And you you were just with him this entire time?
0: Yeah, in the hospital room. Oh, my gosh.
1: But, as you said, he's fully recovered now, yes,
0: one hundred percent recovered, and he's like a guy who's died, and so every day is an incredible gift, and he's back to snowboarding a hundred days a year and kicking all of our asses hiking up the mountain. <laughs> um yeah, I always say he wasn't the kind of guy who needed a wake-up call. I thought it was I thought the goddess had the wrong person when they picked Jake on that, but you know, it, it it again. It made us a stronger community, a stronger company, a stronger family, and you just realize the value of living in the day.
1: D- did that actually change anything in terms of how you've been living your life for the last three years?
0: I don't think it changed how we're living our lives. I think it's given us even more gratitude and and just realizing again how lucky we are to have this community. And the family that we have and the extended family that we have through Burton. So it's just a reminder of how
1: lucky we are. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm curious if you're able to kind of reflect back on this 30 plus years and this uh, unbelievable ride that you've been on at Burton and building this unbelievable company. If there were maybe the top two to three pieces of advice that you have for other business leaders, what would they be?
0: Yeah, I guess I would go back to the lessons that we learned. And, you know, number one, it's really important to stay passionate about what you're doing. And, um, for example, I found that people come to Burton because they're passionate about the sport, but then we really, it's our responsibility to proactively nurture that. So I'll tell, you know, I'll tell, any CEO, that culture by far is more important. Culture is more important to me than anything. It's more important than the numbers. You need the, you know, you need to be financially strong to 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 be a sustainable business. But to really succeed, you need a culture that's going to really live the values that you lay out in order to get you to where you want to go. Um, and the other thing is, don't get greedy. I mean, it sounds so basic, but The times that we've gotten in trouble were when we got greedy. I remember right before the economic crash, we had produced... Too much product. Things were going great, um, and that was a lesson we had to learn. And like I said, the ski, co- uh, the sorry, the surf companies, I think, got very greedy. They had a legitimate lifestyle to sell, but um, you know they took it public. So I would say, stay connected, stay passionate about what you're doing, and don't get greedy. <laughs>
1: I want to, I want to just kind of dig in real quick on one of the things that you said, because I have been curious about this. It it sounds like, and you've mentioned this more than once, that the culture at Burton is like a family. Um, And are there any particular practices or anything that you feel that you do that really cultivates that culture?
0: Yeah, I think there are a, yeah, I always say we have a keg of beer going about every afternoon at <laughs> five o'clock. Yeah, we're good at parties. That's one of our core competencies. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think for example, we do inc- we literally encourage employees to go snowboarding by giving them passes, free lessons. You know, there's no there's no work on a powder day. If it snows. More than two feet, there's no work. Um, we have company ride days. We have departmental ride days. So you know, we're really proactively trying to um, get people out. I always say, some it's like golf in other industries. Decisions can get made on the chairlift. Um, and then our mentoring. You know, we have a we've developed a culture of mentoring where new hires can pair with more experienced people and really get to know the company on a more intimate basis. Um, Yeah, so I think you just have to keep proactively nurturing it through development programs. I think employees start at a company because they're passionate about it. They stay because they feel challenged and they feel like they're being developed.
1: Um, so as we wrap up here, I have just two final questions. Uh, one, what is the most important thing in your life right now? I would have to say fighting climate change.
0: I think that that is the single most important issue facing us right now. I think we're the first generation to really see the impacts. And we're the last generation to do something about it. So I have been involved for a few years with Protect Our Winners, but it feels more urgent now than ever.
1: And kind of building off of that, what is it that's actually giving you hope in the world right now?
0: Oh, Trump is giving me hope in the world. I, you know what? Because he's so bad that I think <laughs> it, it, it's healing us in some way. I think that we were being complacent about climate change. We were being complacent about women's rights. We were being complacent about civil rights, LGBTQ rights. We it, This was a wake-up call for us. So what I'm hopeful about is the activism that I'm seeing at every level, whether it's the climate change or women in leadership or immigration. I'm hopeful for the activism. Like I said, Burton never would have sent employees to a march before, but that's where we are. And my my young employees give me hope. They really do.
1: The next generation gives me a lot of hope. huge thanks this week to Donna Carpenter and the entire team over at Burton, as well as our wonderful producers, StoryPop Media, and the entire Conscious Company Media team. The World Changing Women's Podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WCWpod. Join us next week for an interview with another world changing woman. And thank you, as always, for listening.
0: A StoryPop Media Production.